Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Good to be with you guys. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll go with me to Exodus chapter 23, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Uh, so I just kind of want to reflect a couple things. Uh, I don't know if you guys do this, but I'll tell you a story here, but I, I want to do this first. When uh, So Dave's prophecy, uh, it sounded really intense, like, oh, gloomy clouds and stuff like that. He was quoting... Um, Psalm, I'm sorry, Joel chapter 2. And that passage right there that he was quoting is talking about a unique people that God is going to raise up. That's where Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2, your sons and daughters will prophesy. You're, he was just doing the foreground of that. God's saying there's a certain group of people at a certain time that are going to be what they call dread champions that are going to function with signs and wonders and dreams and visions, and it's going to rock the nations. So even though it sounded dark, it actually was the Lord giving a promise to you guys, I'm planning on doing an amazing thing in the midst of you. So that was awesome. Thank you. I mean, I almost, I sat over there and just kind of shook and I thought, wow, does everyone know that's Joel chapter two? (laughs) Um, 1999, uh, some of you probably weren't even born. It's just weird to say those kind of things. Uh, in 1999, Kelly and I got invited to a church in Detroit. We were just doing a normal service, and their worship team was um, Motown musician. And so it was just off the chart. I just thought, you've got to be kidding me. And remember, the end of the world was supposed to happen in 1999? And so we had just assumed, well, God's letting us hear really cool worship before the Antichrist cuts all our heads off. And... Um, So while that's going on, the Lord just tells me, okay, so after you get done with your teaching, I thought it was kind of funny the way you put it, after you get done with your teaching, it's like it was something that had to be tolerated. After you get done with your teaching, (laughs) invite my spirit. And I said, okay. So I do this incredibly boring teaching. Everyone yawned all the way through it. And then I said, so the spirit of the Lord wants to come, and uh, I'm going to go sit down in the audience, and I'll just tell you what the Lord's doing. And so we, we gave like nine words of knowledge. And they, um, they were meeting in a school gymnasium, and 250 people came forward on those nine words of knowledge. And I said, I'm not going to pray for you. The Lord's going to minister to you. I'm just going to sit over here and just describe what the Holy Spirit's doing. The body of Christ, just to give you an example, is very uncomfortable with letting the Spirit of the Lord come in the midst of us. We don't know what to do. I, I went through a learning curve that day. I realized when you wait on the Lord as a group of people, Jesus chooses how to do ministry. And if you wait, he'll actually start ministering to people where they're at. And culturally, our culture just struggles with waiting for more than five minutes on the Lord. We think it's emptiness. We think it's a waste of time. 
But we're the temple of the Lord. When we gather in his name, he says he's here with us. And we, we take that as he's here taking a nap. No, when he says, I'm here with you, that's designated in the New Testament to describe his manifest presence is there. And if you'll yield to him, he'll come and minister however he wants, and you'll actually enjoy it. And what you guys are experiencing, and what I saw this morning, I, I was just sitting there going, okay, I wonder if the Lord's going to really go after us here. And I don't think you guys didn't respond improperly. I just think it takes, I just think it takes a time for a group of people to get comfortable with letting God move the way he wants to. We, we've been so used to coming into a building and talking about the Lord that when the Lord's in the midst of us, we're very uncomfortable with him being with us. And so I'm, I, I just want to commend you. You did an awesome thing this morning, waiting on the Lord. By the way, that service, we had to wait 10 minutes. Can you imagine 10 minutes of waiting on the Lord? And God picked the pastor's wife, and she fell on the ground. And when she fell on the ground, she hit her head really hard. That was super exciting. And she, made the, she had her mouth open when she hit the ground, so it made this really cool coconut sound through the, the gymnasium, right? And um, the pastor ran towards her, screaming like his wife had died, and she's being ministered to by the Lord, and he went to grab her, and the Spirit of the Lord knocked him on the ground. And, and that was the beginning of over two and a half hours of the Lord taking over the service. Um, he healed, I, don't, he, I think he healed all 100, 250 people that came forward, the youth got caught into a revival. Kelly and I just watched it. Finally, the janitors told us, we're not even the pastors of the church, would you get everyone out of here? We want to go home. We saw people laying in the yards as we're walking out of the gymnasium to go to our cars, people climbing trees. I mean, it was just the most intense experience. And, and the pastor's wife, who conked her head, had gotten a car accident. She had severe whiplash, and by her getting ministered to, the Lord completely healed her. I mean, it's just stunning. So you guys, uh, what you're doing, waiting on the Lord, is very, very important. All right, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 through 23. I actually wasn't going to teach this. This, is, this shows you how God sets things in order. I already had a different thing I wanted to cover, and when I woke up this morning, I'm thinking through my notes, and the Lord's like, no, I want you to go back to this one, so here we go. Exodus chapter 23, verse, I'm sorry, Exodus 23, verse 20 through 23. I'm still working with you guys on obedience. Now, it's, it's amazing, obedience, just so that we understand each other, obedience is a very simple concept, uh, and there's all kind, it's kind of amazing. God evaluates and works based on obedience. Uh, there are all these benefits that come from obedience. There's all these things that happen if you don't obey. It's a very simple concept. God, God's really just saying, look, listen to me, and then do what I ask you to do. Uh, we can make it harder than that, but that's what the Lord's after. And, but when we talk about obedience, please understand, there's a whole history of God saying this is how obedience works. And so I'm going to go into one of the passages where it talks about God talking about obedience and God dealing with evil by you obeying. Yesterday, we went through all the spiritual warfare and we talked about all different things. And I'm not going to redo that because for the people who are here... Um, I overwhelmed everybody with information, and uh, if you want to listen to it, you can get it online. But what I want to do is introduce the idea that most people as believers believe that 
okay, we have a theology that God says he'll take care of us, but we don't understand how it works. And then we have stories like, well, I thought God was going to take care of this person. Why didn't it work? And so what we want to do is we want to lay a foundation that one of the things that comes to us out of obedience is called the protection of the Lord. So look with me at verse 20 here. And by the way, it's amazing. Before this, they're talking about the men have to gather to do a feast. They talk about managing the land, how you're not to persecute your enemies, but actually help them. God's laying down all this stuff about how he wants his people to live. And then he says this. He's getting ready to talk to you about going into the promised land. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but did you know that the, the whole idea of the promised land was connected to obedience? You were allowed to live in a land full of flowing with milk and honey as long as you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. The minute you decided not to, you were, the people were actually driven out of the land. Isn't that interesting? So the land is a picture of when I obey, I get to live in a prosperous land that is protected by the Lord and all those benefits that come just by a simple act of responding to his voice and yielding to his ways. So it says this, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Pezrites, Canaanites, Heavisites and Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. We're going to later on go to verse 25 through 27, but let's just start working through this. He's saying, and we have a doctrine, we have this in the New Testament, but here's where it's being laid out in Scripture. God says that uh, when he sends you and I into anything that he is going to do, he commands an angel to go with us to do the work of protecting us. Now, isn't this interesting? He's actually having to explain this to the nation of Israel, and I'm glad he does because they're having to learn how obedience works as a group of people. So God is explaining. This would be actually elementary things of walking with Jehovah, that if you walk with Jehovah and he says, go over here, he doesn't send you unprotected. He sends an angel with you to do what he has called you to do. Now, why would God do that? Well, he's saying, I don't send my people not only with himself, but he says, I send you as literally an ambassador or an emissary, and I'm going to put an army around you to protect you to do the thing that I've called you to do. Now, see, we get, we're so used to just living our everyday life, we don't see ourselves in this identity, and so we think we live a common life. But as the nation that's walking with the Lord, as a people that know their God, even though you might think you live a common life, you're in the kingdom of God, and there are certain benefits that comes from being in that kingdom, whether I recognize them or not. And one of them is the protection of the Lord and angelic beings sent to protect us. Back in 1998, I had been invited up to Minneapolis to do a conference at a Lutheran church. And um, when we were setting up the conference, um, they said to me, 
So we're going to sponsor the church and another ministry in Minneapolis. We're going to join together, and we're going to have you come and speak. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And um, if, you ever, if you guys ever get in these situations, a lot of this is a lot of fun because people don't tell you things until you show up the day to do the conference. And so the day that I show up, they're, they're get, I'm getting ready to go speak, and they tell me, so Brian, you might have some problems th- this weekend. And I'm like, Really? Well, what, what's the problem? They're like, well, this group that's sponsoring you, they hate supernatural ministry. I mean, they just tell me that before I get up there. And I'm there to teach on the prophetic ministry. So I'm like, like, why, why didn't you tell me this? And they're just, they just thought they, they would, uh, I would be too nervous or I'd cancel, so they just waited to the day of the event. Isn't that nice of them? So uh, this isn't the part of it, but the, you need to know some of this. So uh, the whole entire time, I'm having to talk about hearing the voice of the Lord, how to do ministry. I'm modeling ministry. The whole side of this room is mad at me. And if you know anything about Jesus and Jesus' sense of humor, he thinks that's great. (laughs) The group that wanted to receive ministry, he wouldn't give me any words for them. The group that didn't want any ministry, he made me call them out consistently. And you don't, I mean, if you guys go into a room, you don't know who people are. God's given me words, and I found out he's actually gave me words for the, the president of the ministry, his wife, all the directors of the ministry. He gave words to them and healed either something of the wife's conditions of the directors or something like that. And so all of them were just having a really hard time with the Lord because he was healing them and, and speaking to them, stuff that was secrets in their hearts. Okay. So it was an intense conference. So I, I get done with it. We're staying at um, some host house. I, I'd never stayed with them before. And I'm traveling with a gentleman. And I go upstairs, and this is, well, I'm telling you it's 1998. Is we're, we're getting ready for Bill Clinton to go through an impeachment process, if you guys remember that. And there was a thing called the Star Report that was just about to be released. So I'm up in Minneapolis. I know that's going to happen. And then that night, I'm laying in bed, and I'm just kind of praying, and I'm, th- guys, I'm thanking the Lord the conference is over. <laughs> Not that he did amazing things. It's just I just wanted to be out of that environment. Thank you, God, that's over. And I'm just kind of relaxing and getting ready for bed. And um, the, the power of the Lord shows up in my room. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And it's increasing. Now, there's this thing about God. If you've never experienced this, it, it kind of messes with your world. There's a part of God's love that's inviting. You want to jump in. It's like a swimming pool. And then there's another part of God that when his power shows up and you're not used to him increasing his power, it actually causes you to come into what's called the fear of the Lord. You realize, wait a minute, he's actually an all-powerful being, and I'm not. And so as he's increasing his power, I've shared this before, so I'll try to do it gently, an angel appears at the end of my bed, scares the living daylights out of me. So I run out of the room. (laughs) I go into the room of the guy that's traveling with me, and I wake him up. His name's EJ, and I said, EJ, there's, can you imagine? There's an angel in my bedroom, and I don't want to be there. (laughs) And he goes, well, let me pray for a minute, and he falls asleep on me. So I wake him up. Hey, EJ, there's a, remember, there's an angel. And he goes, oh, yeah, let me pray. And he goes, yeah, 
feel like the Lord told me, you need to stop being a baby, go back to your room. And I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to walk towards the, the bedroom, and as I'm doing it, my soul is just shaking. I literally, from the fear of the Lord, and I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. So I went to the other side of the bed and literally just sat in a chair like a little baby crying, and, and I could sense the dynamic power of the Lord, and I'm like, wow, I really don't want to be doing this. And EJ wakes up, and he goes, what are you doing in here? And I'm saying, well, EJ, <laughs> there's this dynamic power, and I'm, I mean, it's really intense. And he goes, well, let me pray about it. Falls asleep again. <laughs> then he wakes up, and he says, you know, really, Brian, you need to leave my bedroom. The Lord wants to talk to you about something. You need to get out of here. So now I have to go to the door. I'm opening the door. Uh, this is just nonsense, what I'm about to tell you. I'm looking in the hallway to see if the angel's there. Like, isn't that bizarre? I run across the hall. I jump into my, the bed. This is someone else's house. I pull the sheets up over my face like somehow that's going to protect me. And he appears at the end of my bed again. And I'm just, oh, I do not want to be here. The Spirit of the Lord fills me with peace. And he goes, Brian, be at peace. And then I thought, why didn't you do that when we started this whole thing? <laughs> and the Lord just says, he's been assigned to protect you. And I went, okay, why do I need to, why did I have to go through all that to know that? Right? Do you guys ever have encounters with the Lord and you're just like, well, that was the Lord, but what, Why? So the next day we go home, that night they're going to release the star report. We have this massive, massive rainstorm in Kansas City. It's just flooding everywhere. And I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go downstairs, I'm going to read the star report. Our basement flooded. And the, the water was so high that it covered the outlets. And without thinking, I ran and jumped in the water to go turn off the breaker. I should have been killed instantly. I guess that's why God had to tell me I signed that guy to you. Now, I never cover this kind of stuff because I assume everybody just knows this, or if they do, they don't really want to talk about this stuff. But the Lord periodically reminds me, I've assigned that guy. Do you remember I told you I signed that angel to you? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, well, he isn't there to watch you go through life. He's there to protect you. And I go to cities where all this crime and stuff is going on, and I, I just never have fear. Why? I can sense the protection of the Lord everywhere I go. Now, your inheritance, that out of that story, your inheritance is an angel has been assigned to be with you and to watch you wherever the Lord sends you. This is part of your inheritance of obedience to the Lord. And I'm going to show you that it's that, because a lot of people look at these stories in the Old Testament and go, well, no, that's the nation of Israel, so he had to do that for him." But this isn't tied to the law, and it's not tied to the Old Covenant. It's tied to the voice of God and the nature of God. And that's why I say you can be assured it's with you today, because God's nature has not changed, and his requirements of obedience have not changed. They're the same. So what he required of his people in the Old Testament, he requires of us today. And if he says, I require this, the benefit package of walking in obedience is this protection for you. So see, it, uh, let's just start working through it. He says, I'm going to send the angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Now, interesting enough, the word for guard, I mean, we need to look at it intentionally. It has, 
It, it's kind of a root word, and it builds themes around it to get to the idea of guarding something. So the foundation of the word to guard means to create a hedge. All right, so it's saying when God sends you somewhere or the voice of the Lord says, participate me in this, there's a hedge of protection that is put around you, and it's angelic protection to watch over you. And the word hedge doesn't mean just a hedge. It means the 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 Lord or an angel literally watches everything that's going on around you to make sure you're protected so nothing can get into that. So when the Lord says he will guard you, it is saying it's given a principle here. When you and I are responding to the Lord, we're just like, well, I'm trying to follow the voice of the Lord, but God is doing all this stuff around us. He's saying basically, fallen man only has armies to protect you. You know the Lord, he puts his very presence and angelic beings around you everywhere you go. You literally have your own secret service agents protecting and watching over everything you do constantly. Yeah, I kind of like that. And so he, he says that he's going to guard you. And, and it doesn't just mean a hedge and it doesn't mean watching everything. It also means intentionally to preserve whatever God is doing in your life. So they not only protect you, they protect what God has said to you so that you can get to the place that God has said he's going to take you. So they're, they're watching over you to make sure you're safe, but they're also making sure that your circumstances that would stop you from getting where the Lord has spoken to you is blocked so that you can get there. So isn't that interesting to say that? That's actually saying when God is communicating with you and I and he says, hey, now do this or respond this way to me, he's saying all of heaven is moving on behalf in every circumstance, both the Lord and the angelic beings, to make sure that thing he spoke to you about happens. Why? Well, we found out yesterday because uh, there are other beings that want to thwart the word, uh, the word of the Lord or what God wants to do. And then he says this, be on your guard before him and obey his voice and do not be rebellious towards him. So now he's, he's kind of doing this thing where he's explaining this angel is not the pre-incarnate son of God. This is just a regular angel. He has no ability to judge or not, I'm sorry, to forgive or not forgive. That's not his assignment. His assignment is to fulfill what God has called the nation of Israel to do, and he says, so don't be rebellious towards him. Well, why is it saying that? Uh, the word rebellious, I always thought rebellious was just a, a firm, no, I'm not going to do it. But there are several words for rebellion in the Old Testament. This one I thought was funny. The foundation of the word means to tickle someone, to irritate them. So he's saying the angel has a specific assignment to get you to a certain place when he's telling you, here's what the Lord says. So this means an angel's appearing before him and saying, here's what the Lord says about something. He's saying, don't sit there and irritate him by fighting and saying, no, I'm not going to do it. That's the idea. Ticken, tickle to irritate. That's what this word for rebellion means. It means he doesn't have, he's not assigned to work through all you having unbelief or any of that other stuff. His job is to get you there. And when he says, the Lord says, go do this, you're supposed to go do it, and if you like, no, I'm not going to do it, or let's wait here a couple more days, he's not there to go, oh, I understand. He's there to protect you, and if the, the children of Israel didn't respond, he would actually move against them. Isn't that interesting? Okay, now I'm going to stop right here, 
and pause just for a moment with you because I want to make sure that I communicate something very intentionally. What's unique about this story, uh, first and foremost, they had literally the glory of God tangibly where they could see it every day. So get this, there's 4.5 million people having a cloud lead them, and then it turns into fire at night, and they have angels appearing, and food appearing. I mean, do you get it? They're just in an environment of miraculous stuff all the time. Now, we think, wow, I'm glad it's calmed down in the New Testament. But in reality, it says we've actually been called to a better covenant. We're the temple. We don't have to have a temple anymore. We're the temple. The glory of God is actually residential in us, and what he was doing with them back then should be common for us. The same thing, the same, we're his people, the same thing he wants to do where he leads us all the different ways, we're supposed to be discipling the nations. I mean, he's put an incredible mandate on us. And all the stuff that he was able to do with his people back then, he's wanting to do with us now. You've been called to walk with the same God who does miraculous things. Has angels tell you what you need to do. Provides for you supernaturally. Gives you resources based on the kingdom, not on natural things. And I think sometimes, at least for me, I read those stories and go, wow, that's just incredibly powerful. I wonder what it was like to live in those days. And I'm always having the Lord go, have I changed? I mean, do you guys ever have God talk to you about, uh, who do you see me as? And I, I always like, well, I mean, I knew you did it, but I think you've gotten tired. Okay, let's keep moving on. So he says he wants you to obey his voice. And then um, he says he will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. And then it says this, and this is where I want to focus our attention. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say. So let's take this word, truly obey. This is not him. This is not like when Jesus says, truly I say to you. This is a different word. This is the Hebrew word for pay attention. It means be so attentive, you actually believe your life is on the line with this topic. Now, why is he doing that? He's saying if you truly obey, because the Bible is always trying to come back to humanity and, say, and have a conversation with, how do you look at the voice of God in your life, and do you base it as life-giving, and the, the ability of life or death is by what the Lord says to you? Because that's how the Bible actually presents it to you and I. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? And the, and the devil's telling him to take a stone and turn it into bread. And Jesus says, hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he's actually saying what comes out of God's mouth is equated to you need daily food to survive, but you need the daily voice of the Lord to survive. He's saying it's that important. He's saying that life and death are based on hearing and obeying the Lord. How many of you um, have an encounter where the Lord speaks to you and you can sense a surge of resurrection life come in you? And then you start going along and God says, hey, now I want to add this to it. And you go, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Do you guys do that kind of stuff? Like the first thing you said, I really like that. But the second thing... I don't know if that's going to work in my world, so I'm going to ignore that. And all of a sudden, you can sense a diminishing of resurrection life hitting you. And then what happens is the longer you don't pay attention, what happens is you become stagnant. 
because you were supposed to be a vessel that has the surge of resurrection power going through you in response to obedience. You can almost tell if you're, you're obeying the voice of the Lord by asking a simple question. What's the last thing the Lord has said to me, and how have I responded to it? Have any of you ever been caught where you, you're going, where's God? And then the Lord has to say, well, what was the last thing you and I talked about? And you're like, well, was that really that big of a deal? Do you guys ever do that? How many of, uh, tell me if you're like me. For years, I thought when God talked to me, I thought he was giving suggestions. <laughs> like, here's an idea. And I, and I thought he was leaving it up to me to go, oh, well, I think that's a good idea, or that's not a good idea, or that messes with me watching the Broncos, so I don't know if I'll go do it. Did, do you guys think like that at all? <laughs> so it, this, it says, if you truly obey. So it says, if you, you end up giving attentiveness to obedience. So let's, again, if you have not been with me, I'm going to now review obedience with you. Remember, obedience means to prefer a voice. So it's saying all these voices are coming to you in your life. Which one should you prefer? It should be the voice of the Lord. Now, so you guys, it's the idea, the first part of the way this Hebrew word is worked, or even in the Greek, it means it's like walking through a wilderness to find something. You're looking for a specific thing. So it's like a treasure hunt. The voice of God is a treasure in your life. So you're searching it out compared to every other voice. So that's the first meaning of the word obey. The other meaning of the word obey is kind of fascinating. I kind of just alluded to it. I'm going to explain it. It doesn't mean just to prefer a voice. It means to take that voice and give it prominence as though it's the most important voice in the universe. Right now, think about people that you give authority to. Why do you give authority to certain people's opinions? Because you believe that you're going to get wisdom and life and skill to move forward in some area of your life. Well, now the Lord is saying, okay, well, you do that with men. You even do it with some of my people because they let me speak through them. But you should have this preference inside of you that really I'm trying to find the voice of the Lord in every situation. And once I find it, I'm going to say this is the highest standard of life. And I'm not going to let anything steal that place or steal that word or oppose that inside of me because this is the fullness of life when I listen to this voice compared to any other voice that comes behind it. And so obedience is amazing. It, it means a response. It means finding it like it's a treasure. And then it means lifting it up and saying, this is really the most important voice in the universe. And God wants your heart set apart for that. So tell me if you guys are like I am. I, I, I watch myself. There are certain people I listen to. Their, their, I prefer to listen to their podcast to other people. Uh, we put certain people in high regard. I want to listen to what that person says. Well, the most, the most dynamic person in the universe is saying, well, his voice would be so important that you actually give more time to that than anyone else's voice in your life. Now, are you guys like me? I always want someone else to talk for God instead of going to God and saying, talk to me. Now, at certain seasons of your life, that's necessary because you don't understand how this works, but if you've been walking with the Lord for a while and you're still wanting someone else to give you the voice of God instead of you encountering it, the Lord wants to have what's called an embrace encounter with you. 
where he wants to love you to the place where you're not afraid to hear his voice anymore, and you begin to long for it. I'll probably teach on this in the months to come, but um, I'm looking at how Jesus talked about his, his desire, part of his ministry was to reveal the Father's love. And in John 15 and John 16, he's, he's qualifying that love. And he's tying it to hearing the Father's voice. And he says, um, because you love me, the Father is going to love you the way he loves me. So he's saying the way the Father loved the Son, he's going to begin to pour that into you. And that Greek word is agape. And agape is the quality of God's love. It also actually means, it's not only a quality, the word or phrase that's used with that is it means a preferred love. So it means an intentional, Jesus looks at you, or the Father looks at you and he says, because he's embraced my Son, I prefer to take this quality of love and just pour it like a river into him. And then in John 16, he talks about the love of God, and he says, the Father already loves you because you love me. And that Greek word for love is the word phileo. Now what's interesting is he's talking about two types of the love of God there in regard to the voice of the Lord. The phileo love, in that passage, he says the Father already loves you. He's not talking about his quality of love, or he prefers to love you. Now it's talking about a different. Phileo love is interesting in regard to God, to man. It actually means kindness or tenderness, or it means he actually grabs you, brings you, this is how the Greek uses it, he brings you close to his heart, and it's called a tender kiss. So when you obey the Lord, he doesn't just give you one type of his love, he gives you another type of his love. And most people are afraid to hear the voice of the Lord because they haven't had the embrace of the t- tenderness of God's approving kiss on them. They don't recognize it. They don't understand it. They don't even see the Lord being that way because fathering has been modeled incorrectly to them. And so here's God trying to hug his... He's saying, now look, obedience, it isn't just that I love you and I project love to you. He says, no, actually, I walk toward you. And I grab you and I say, now you're mine, and I'm going to bring you near, and I'm going to put such adoption in you that you, you sense the tenderness of me, and it's called the kiss of approval. Every time you sense the Lord, he's telling you, I've just given you the tenderness of my approval. Do you see why it's so important to soak in it? Because our natural mind resists this stuff, the tenderness of God's approval. And you have to, and by the way, those two Greek words, one is a statement of God's love, the other one is the effect or the experience of God's love. And we're, we're, we've, we've devoided relationship with God to thoughts, not experiences. And God's saying, hey, don't sit around and say you love me without me grabbing you and letting me hug you. <laughs> okay? So, oh, you guys like that. So let's keep going. Truly obey, prefer his voice. Why? Because the tender embrace comes from it. And do what I say. And then he says, if you'll just let me love you, if you'll listen and respond, and you'll let me give the tender embrace of the, what's called the tender embrace of approval is upon you. He says, now what will happen is, I will become the enemy of your enemies. And I will become... 
the adversary of your adversaries. So how many of you live and say, well, I don't have the power of money, and I don't have an army to protect me. Who's going to protect me? The Lord is saying, I'm going to do it intentionally. So let's work through these two words. I'm going to be the enemy of your enemy. So these are two different Hebrew words. They have two different meanings. The word enemy means someone that actually schemes to do harm to another person. That's what the word enemy means. So isn't that interesting? It's saying, now this was a a big-time example in the Old Testament. There were nations that were scheming to destroy the nation of Israel, and God said, the minute they decided to do that, I became their enemy, and I schemed to actually make sure they couldn't do what they were going to do and actually come to destruction. Now, I don't know if that, oh, this is intense, hard stuff. Yeah, but God's trying to say something here to you and I. The tender mercy of a father protects his children. And he doesn't just send you out there to, and there's this this misquoted passage in the New Testament where it says, we are like sheep ready for the slaughter. And everybody said, exactly. God set me up to be slaughtered. That's what that, that passage doesn't mean that. He's talking about wolves and sheep. And he's saying, sheep know how to just listen to the voice and skip and dance. And then when it's time for him to be sheared, they just submit to it because they're used to being around a loving shepherd. That's what it means, a sheep ready for the slaughter. They're just at peace. It doesn't mean you've been ordained to be uh, martyred everywhere you go or be the doormat. He's trying to give you the contrast between sheep and wolves. So when he's now coming to this passage, he says, you should revel in the fact that God is a father. And he says, look, it's my job to protect you. I want you. So what's one of the main longings that happened after the fall? We lost a sense of security. And everybody is yearning and trying to grab it by the natural ability. And God's saying, you want an easy way to walk? Listen to me. Pay attention. Let my tender adoption kiss you. And all this other stuff I'll take care of, and you can just have fun with me and just trust that I'm going to take care of the rest of this stuff. So he's saying, just respond to me, and anyone that rises up to try to take you out, I'll take them out. Do you guys want a guarantee? There it is. He also said, I'll be an adversary to your adversaries. Now, that's a different word. And I was explaining this the other night, and I'm going to go ahead and do it again. Every nation has what's called a doctrine of warfare. It's kind of interesting. Did you guys know the United States has a thing called a doctrine of warfare? You can actually just go read it. The army puts it out. It's a big booklet where they tell you how they're going to, here's their strategy of doing warfare. Okay, this word for adversary, I have to use another nation to describe it because this is not how the United States does warfare. Russia does it this way. Russia, after World War II, their doctrine of warfare was to actually go sit on the border of a nation they wanted to overtake and just sit there and poke them so that they use all their resources, all their military supplies, and all their money to try to defeat them, and they just stay there until they wear them out, and then they invade. That's the Hebrew word for adversary. The way they used to do warfare, there were certain nations, especially Ammonites in the Old Testament, used to go put siege work around a country so that they would starve and just throw their hands up without even having to go to battle. They just sat and wore them out. That's the word for adversary. And the Lord is saying, so anytime someone decides that they're going to rise up to you and take all their sources and just sit on you and make your life miserable to where you're just ready to throw your hands up and go, I give up. The Lord says, the minute they devise that plan, he's going to come and sit on them 
and make them exhaust all their resources so they cannot do it to you. <laughs> okay, now, but Brian, you're talking about warfare. I thought the kingdom was all about love and hugs and marshmallows and all that other stuff. Well, it actually is when it talks to you and your relationship with the Lord, but there's more to life than just that reality. There are people in a fallen planet that devise evil things, and God says, hey, I even have that covered for you. I want you to be at peace with this stuff. I want you to be secure. So that when you've been called to disciple nations, and he says, oh, you see that evil nation there? I want you to go there. You don't have to go. You don't have to sit down with your family as missionaries and sign a contract. God's sending me there. I'm probably going to die. And everybody just cries and holds each other's hands and does all that other stuff because we don't even understand the protection of the Lord. God said you're the salt and light of the earth, so of course he's going to send you to the most difficult place. But he wants you to have assurance. If I send you there, I'm going to send an angel there to protect you, and all I want you to do is just let me lovingly embrace you, respond to me when I tell you to do stuff, and I'll actually make sure your enemies are defeated every time. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's fun. Now, I want you to look with me at verse 25 through 27, because I was looking at this this morning, and I'm going, wow, that's pretty profound. So not only was he saying he would actually go to war for you, He's now telling you the benefits. So please remember, um, okay, when he says, and I will bring you to the land, the Hebrew word for bring is actually, it, it doesn't mean just to lead people, it means to also bring forth, okay. So when God is leading someone, like when he leads you, he says, hey, go over here and do this. Just like he said to the nation of Israel, go to this land. When he says it, he says, I'm going to bring you there. We think it's the idea that he grabs you by the hand and he goes, no, come on. I know you don't want to go. Come on. Come on. All right? But that's not what it means. It means there's a resource in heaven that's tied to God bringing you into the land. So it actually means he opens a floodgate and grabs you by the hand at the same time and he, he makes the two connect so that when you come into the land, you're blessed in every way because you've responded to the voice of the Lord. So it doesn't just mean drag someone somewhere they don't want to go. It actually means ripping open the gate of heaven and all the resources in response to that obedience hit you as you're going. I know. So with that being said, look here with me at verse 25. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless you with bread and water. And now, when I was looking at this, I remember when I looked at this in my 20s, I thought, how do, how do I teach this? He says, I will remove sickness from your midst. What do you do with that? There shall be no miscarriages or barrenness in the land. And I will fulfill the numbers of your days. I will send terror ahead of you and throw into confusion any people whom come against you, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. So he's he, he explained it, and then he says, so I'm going to, not only am I going to tell you the benefit, I'm just going to keep adding them to you, because he's trying to get a response from you. It's better to obey the voice of the Lord your God than to listen to any other voice or disobey the voice of the Lord your God. Would you guys pray with me just for a moment? I, um, I just want to stop for a moment and just say to you personally, Lord, thank you that you are willing to teach us your ways. You are a good God, and your ways are pure, they're good, they're life. 
And I thank you out of who you are that you would be willing to share that with each one of us and call us to life. Now, Lord, any residue of the culture that keeps trying to get us to resist you, would you wash that away with the tender embrace of the Father's love? And let your approval wash over us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.